Pittsburgh Steeler fans. Welcome to another episode of Steeler Stat Geek. This is Behind the Steel Curtain Deputy Ever Editor. La, 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 deputy Editor. You Dave mess that up every Spurfield. week. <laughs> I mess every it up. Every week. Yeah, I try to get ahead of myself. Coming at you once again with his big brother, Rich. Rich, how's it going? Here we go, Steelers. I was going to say, another year older since the last time you were on here with yeah, us. That is correct. So <laughs> I am now in my, you know, I'm now in my 46th year as a Steeler fan. There you go. There you go. So um, it's funny. I can never remember how old I am when people ask, but I do remember how old how you old are. I and I subtract four. That's hilarious. <laughs> so, but for tonight the, we, we have a. For the record, wait a minute. Since you're going that route, for the record, today. <laughs> My son saw a picture of us uh-huh. at our grandfather's retirement. Oh, okay. my. I was, what, seven? Not even, uh, if that. Yeah. The hilarious thing was he pointed at you, at your head in particular, and said, oh, look, there was a lot more hair. Yeah. Well, that's why I wear a hat for every episode. <laughs> so uh, you don't have to do that. You have the 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 full head of hair. I unfortunately got the intelligence instead. So um <laughs> whatever. So um now that now that we've joked around enough, we, we don't want to leave them hanging. We have someone that's joining us tonight. We've been doing uh every every few weeks we've been doing a thi- um I don't know if you can call it a series or just a special thing where we have been bringing on different writers from behind the steel curtain to come in and kind of highlight what they're doing and things that they've talked about and just get their opinions on various things. We've had Cliff Harris is still a punk, which is Kevin Smith. And he actually came back on a second time because he had some inside information about uh, new Steelers tight end, Eric Ebron. We've had flip Fisher. So tonight we have another author from the website coming on and, um, we have one, Jeffrey Benedict. Let's see if we can get him in here. Bring him up. I got Jeffrey. Hello. All right. Well, we'll, we'll get out of him while you step away, Rich. Do we have you, Jeffrey? Yep. All right. It's great. Yeah, we have you. You're great. We can hear you good. I hope everyone um, on YouTube can hear you. So how long have you been writing for Behind the Steel Curtain? Um, since August. So not that long. Really? So I've actually been around longer than you. I started uh, the September before that. So yeah. that's just uh, well, interesting been, to know. I've been on the site, active on the site as a member uh, since like 2009. Yeah, that's you. You predate <laughs> even Jeff Hartman, don't you? Yes. Yep. Yes. But now now here you are. You're you are one of our staff writers. And uh you want to tell us uh, about your Steeler fandom? Anything about yourself you want to say or want to share? Uh, I I became a Steeler fan after Dan Snyder bought the Washington Redskins. <laughs> I grew up in Ohio, <laughs> and I honestly I didn't I wasn't allowed to watch football as a child growing up, and I became a Washington Redskins fan through a video game, and that that was my wow. original starting fandom. And then uh, I start I became a huge fan of Rod Woodson. Because I okay. like Daryl Green, I like defensive backs. I was a small, fast kid, and uh, I loved Rod Woodson. And then when the Washington Redskins went down the toilet, I started cheering for the Steelers. Wow! So <laughs> that's it. I'm trying to think about when. Uh, what year did did Snyder buy the the Redskins? Oh, hold um, on. Give me a second. Give me just a second. Yeah, I'm not. Tell you. So let's. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. See, because. 
99. Rich and I, 99. Okay, 99. Right. Because 2000 was their last training camp at Frostburg. That's what I was, was going to say. For the, I was there for the first one. In yeah, you guys, are, you guys are in Redskins territory, aren't you? Yeah, well, well, we, uh, we really. both attended no. Frostburg State University, which is where the Redskins did their training camp. Uh, okay. Up until Daniel Snyder bought the team and broke the and contract, they did one more after they did one more after he bought the team. Yeah, yeah. but it wasn't the same. But not no. that we were Redskins fans. But uh, I'll be honest with you, people that that lived around there, um, the Redskins kind of drove them crazy because they came into town and they thought they could, you know, draw. You know, not not necessarily the players, just the people associated yeah. with them. They thought if they just said, "Well, I'm with the Redskins," everyone in the whole town would kind of just bow down to them and let them do oh, whatever man. they want, you know. But yeah. um, it was interesting. I, I, you know, it's not that we liked or didn't like. I actually had season tickets to the Redskins. Um, oh, when was that? That was it. Was a it was mid, a couple years before. Yeah, because it was before the. I think it was for three seasons leading up to when they did the the, the lockouts. And the only reason I did it was because a friend of mine from college needed someone else to go in with them and they played the Steelers that year. And I wanted to guarantee tickets to that game. So I said, yes. And then I just kind of kept on with it a little bit. And, you know, I would go and watch just other players. Like I got to yeah. see Peyton Manning play. I got mm -hmm. to see Brett Favre play and things like that. But I tell you, going to a game there, the traffic and everything, even, even living in Maryland, it is shorter to go to Pittsburgh and come back just because of the traffic than would have been yeah. going to DC. Oh, but well, uh, yeah, he's kind of definitely shorter for me to get. Well, for you, I'm you know, <laughs> I live an hour and a half further east than you do. So um, but yeah, he's kind of run that team into the ground a little bit. So uh but but uh but so you adopted the Steelers because you're a Rod Woodson fan and then just yep it just was, continued to grow. Yeah, and I was in the, I was living on the border of Ohio and Pennsylvania, so I was right in the middle of Browns and Steelers rivalry territory. Yes. So I picked well, you the definitely, yeah, you definitely um, picked picked the picked the right uh, yes. side of that of that thing. Well, I don't know if it was even much of a debate. So um, I, but, I actually went to college at Malone University in Canton, Ohio, and Fawcett Stadium, where they play the Hall of Fame game, is where my college football team played. Oh wow. And they just I didn't they just ended their football program. Oh really? It was, yeah, it was a great story. They talked to there was a kid in the in the combine who played at Malone College, and it was the first time the college had ever read represented at the combine. And while he was preparing for that, they announced that the program was shut down. Wow. Hmm. So, so it was a big deal. And he ended up getting back to the end of playing. Now, there you go. Yeah. Uh, I didn't realize that a college team even played on that stadium. I, I didn't oh, yeah. even know that it was used for anything other than the one Hall of Fame game every year because uh, it they seemed also, like. Uh, they also use it for high school games, so like McKinley, Maslin. Huge. Gotcha. Like their, their teams are always top you know, 100 in the nation. They're, they've had some national championships for high school football there, so they play there. So even though even though they had other teams playing there and everything, and they had the entire summer to get it ready, they still couldn't manage to fix the turf enough to save Sean Sweezum's career the last time the Steelers played oh there. So, um, but let's yes. not go down those <laughs> those bad memories. So, um, so Jeffrey, I kind of I in order whenever we bring someone on, we kind of like to say, all right, what are you working on? What are you what are you doing for the site? What's a topic that you might be diving into that would be beneficial for us to talk about on the show? And you gave me a couple ideas. And now I don't 
Now, I don't think this is something you've published yet. This was just something you were looking into, correct? Something I've been working on, yeah. Okay, so what we were what we're going to talk about is the Steelers' ability to defend the tight end, and not just the tight end. We're also going to lump running back into that. In other words, your non-wide receiver positions, how have the Steelers been doing at defending them and what they can do to defend them better in 2020 and if they have the right personnel for that. So I, I was actually kind of surprised. I went to look up some numbers with everything, and I expected to see that last year, the Steelers did better defending tight ends. It just kind of felt like they did better, mainly because the overall was as a whole, the defense was better. But that wasn't the case, was it? Yeah, they, they gave up a lot of stats to, to tight ends. A lot, quite a lot. Yeah. Um, like for example, they I think I have that they gave up eight touchdowns to tight ends last season. Yes. Which is the most since 2015. Now, we kind of mentioned this before. Two of those were kind of garbage time uh, touchdowns. And, like, they only had – they gave up one 100-yard receiving game to a tight end, and that was to um, – that was against the Chargers, to Hunter Henry. But that was kind of – that's – I kind of put a little asterisk next to that one. I don't know about you. What, what do you think about that game in particular? That game uh, stands out to me because that was Hunter Henry's first 100-yard game of his career, and it was his first multi-touchdown game of his career. And the Steelers to that point had, hadn't allowed anyone to get like above like 70 yards uh, mm -hmm. to the tight end, and he just went off and destroyed us. And it, it really stood out to me. That's a game I'm actually – that's an article I am going to be writing about. It's about that game and how, how weird it was there. We're, we're, we start the game down Joe Hayden. And then yeah. during the or, course wait, of the game, Steven Nelson what, is out. I think switch those names. <laughs> I'm pretty sure oh, – yeah, like, Steven Nelson was yeah. out and then Joe Hayden. Yeah. yeah because the only reason that. I know this is because I did my Mike Tomlin Tuesday article today where I highlight an old press conference as we go through the season. And it just so happened to be the game against the Chargers. Yeah. So I just listened to his post game press conference. And I'm like, I'm like, he mentioned those guys. And that's what it was because it was, it yeah. was Nelson. He actually didn't even make the trip, did he? And that yeah. was a big surprise because. They they thought he could still possibly play. He was, I think, listed as questionable. We had missed some time in practice, practiced on Friday, and then all of a sudden they go to leave for L.A., and he's not on the plane. Yeah. So he was out. Joe Hayden goes down. But there was, a, there was actually a third player who was out on our defense for that game. Uh, that is the only game Mark Barron missed. Oh, yes, that's right. That was also the one that he missed as well. Yeah. So – that game always stands out to me because you I expected with uh, the cornerbacks being out that you'd look at the game and be like, oh, man, you know, like Mike Williams and just lost the name of their main receiver. Uh, Keenan Allen. Keenan Allen. Thank you. Keenan Allen. I was like, you expect them to be to show up in that game. And they threw him the ball a bunch, bunch of times, but they didn't really do anything. And then Hunter Henry just absolutely goes off at the end of the game. And, yeah. And kills us. Well, but it was it was let's see the Steelers were up twenty four to nothing going into yeah. the fourth quarter. Yep. Um, early in the fourth quarter, the the Chargers get a field goal. So those were they were two late touchdowns. If mm -hmm. I recall, I mean the last one I think was it was at least inside two minutes, if not even less. And it was almost one of those um, 
bend but don't break. We don't mind if you score if it takes you a bunch of plays and a bunch of time yeah. to do it. Um, Rich, do you recall anything from that game? Do you remember that was a Sunday night game right before the bye? Yeah, when Hay- when Hayden went out, I thought, "Oh my gosh, how are we going to stop him?" Mm-hmm. And like you said, we didn't really we didn't start giving up to a couple late couple of those late scores. In, at which point in time, the game was pretty much decided. So, um, I didn't really let that stick in my head in any way, just because of how the game had played out up until that point. But it is interesting looking back, seeing that. They didn't tear us up near as bad on the wide receivers as they did on the tight end. It was much worse the year before in Pittsburgh, but but I mean that the Steelers had a lot going for them that game because that was the game you know Devin Bush gets the early touchdown with the heads up play to pick up the ball and run it to the end zone. Then on the next drive he gets an interception and sets him up on a very short field. Um, if I was it was it that game with a short field? I don't know. I don't know if it was a short field. Or not. He did get an interception. Yeah. Uh, bottom line is he, he had he had two turn he forced he had two takeaways, so they, they got a lot of good play there. Yeah. So, but yeah. Uh, I kind of chalked that one up to yeah because the Steelers had a lead and were trying to protect it, and yeah. they had so much injuries on the defense that kind of kind of did that one. But um, anything else from the tight you know from giving up um, in the passing games, surrendering stuff to tight ends and running backs from last year? You want to highlight before we talk about what we need to. To, to do to fix it? Well, interestingly, we gave up a ton of touchdowns to tight ends, and a lot of those were mm-hmm. goal line miscues. Um, mm-hmm. But if you look at the yardage, like if you go like with Football Outsiders DVOA stat, um, they were mm-hmm. third in the NFL in defending tight ends, according, you know, by what they had done to other teams. Uh, mm-hmm. The year before, in 2018, Steelers were 31st in DVOA against yeah. tight ends. And the year before that, 2017, they were number one. And the, they were the best NFL team defending against tight ends. So it really they went from to the back to back up towards the top. and Yeah, they went from top, bottom to back up to top again. Yeah. And to me, that really highlights why we signed Mark Barron. Because you had Ryan mm-hmm. Shazier coming into his prime, coming into his own, and yes. really stepping up in 2017. And we were one of the top teams. Yeah. Uh, oh, I mean, we were top 10 defensive team. Until he went down. Um, and then the year after that, we're at Bostick and Vince Williams, and we couldn't stop yeah. any tight ends. They were, they, were, they were just going right behind, the, right behind the linebackers and killing us. And this year, we brought in Barron. Uh, and then when Minka Fitzpatrick came on board, when you add that combination of when we had Mark Barron and Minka Fitzpatrick, tight ends really couldn't do anything against us. Teams couldn't get their tight ends going. Uh, exactly. Now, before we go on too far, you you talked about the the DVOA. Mm-hmm. Could you just explain what that is, real quick, so that way everyone knows what we're talking about? Okay, it's defense adjusted value over average, and let's it's it's initially mm-hmm. an offensive stat that says, okay, um, how do you do, com, you know, versus a defense compared to what they normally give up? It just kind of normalized. Oh, you're running back had a big game, but you know. Miami lets everyone run all over them, so it doesn't really matter. It's not like that big of a deal. But if you have a big game against a team that's really stout against the run, then that's a big deal. Uh, and when you flip it, it's basically the opposite. So defending tight ends would be, you know, what yeah, do so tight you're... ends do against most teams, and then what did we allow? 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So you're wanting a positive number when you're looking at an offensive stat, and you're wanting yes. a negative number when you're looking yeah. at a defensive stat, where it just uh, it, it takes into account the if if I remember this correctly, to try to explain it, you can tell me if I'm messing any of this up. It's taking into account the the opponent you're playing and what they normally do against this, and just the league wide average of what you expect from everything. Yeah. So, um, I, I mean, we've I, I've we've mentioned that stat. I don't can't remember if it's been on this show or not before, but just want to make sure that everybody everybody under understood that. So, the question is. Do the Steelers have the you keep mentioning Mark Barron? Yep. <laughs> and we know that the Steelers yep. moved on from Mark Barron. And it's yeah. so funny because people, some people were really down on Mark Barron. And they're like, oh, oh yeah. Some people love Mark Barron and said you should keep him over Vince Williams. I'm like, well, Mark Barron's not your run stuffer like like Vince Williams. So the the so my question is with without Mark Barron, what do you see for 2020? Well, to me, it's, it's how are we going to replace what he did? Because okay. when you look, at, you look at how we defended tight ends, what really stands out is the move tight ends. When they got tight ends off the line, uh, yeah. that's where Mark Barron really came into his own. Because you could, you could take a tight end, line him up, and we put a linebacker on him. And then you move him off the line, and you're, you're moving that linebacker out. Like If that's yeah. Vince Williams, that's, we're in trouble. If that's if that's Devin Bush, well, now you've pulled Devin Bush out of the middle. You've got you've opened up all kinds of other stuff. You've taken our playmaker out of his best spot. If you put Mark Barron over there, that's a win for us because in the box mm-hmm. he's not that great. You know, in zone he's not that great. But you get him outside the box on a tight end in man defense, and he was phenomenal. It's like that that was his like mm-hmm. niche skill set. So when teams would try to spread us out using their tight ends like that, which I I loved hearing. Uh, Kevin Smith come on and talk about us doing that with Eric Ebron. Like we yes. had the exact piece to counter that in Mark Barron. So it's going to be interesting next year to see how we replace that role of when tight ends go out there. Do you, do you, do you have to switch a cornerback onto him and, and go with a sides mismatch? Like, what do you do for me? The big question is, is Ulysses Gilbert, the third ready to play? Like, is he ready to go? Cause in the preseason last year, he covered he good. tight ends. Yeah. He got, there were plays they put him on wide receiver, like just like they they did with like a Terrell Edmonds, you know, where they would put him on running backs, tight ends, or wide receivers. They put Gilbert on wide receivers and he covered them. It's just if he can handle mm. the defense, if he can learn the defense, do all that stuff, and be able to play, you know, in the NFL on the defense, he might be that guy. We you know we might already have that answer in house. But like with so many other things, than young players. You're not exactly sure what you have. Like Rich and I have talked about this before. Let's name some of them, Rich. Um, do we really know what we have in Tuzar Skipper? No. Okay. Do we really know what we have in in Ulysses Gilbert the Third? Do we, you know, some of these some of these players? Um, I mean, 
I don't know how much we really have in Ola Ola Adenie. Almost <laughs> tongue twisting myself out of that one. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, although we've seen him play more on defense than than the other guys, we still don't know exactly. Like on offense, we don't know. We've seen him start a couple games, but we're not really sure what we have in, with Chuksakor for if we have to yeah. call on him. We have other we have other guys like that. That I mean, good thing they added Eric Ebron because we definitely don't know what we have in Zach Gentry. You know, so, and it's not that these guys can't do it. And the Steelers should know more than anybody if they can or not. The question is how confident are are they in their, in their playmaking ability? Um, Do you think the, I, everyone was pretty certain that the Steelers were going to release Mark Barron, except for uh, Jeff Hartman. (laughs) Jeff wanted to argue with me about, um, about that he was saying Vance McDonald was gone. They're going to keep Mark Barron because he plays more snaps. I even had uh, to get Jeff from that. that article. Uh, one article he wrote, I had to hey, he was talking about everybody he, that we'd be letting go, and I told him he forgot to mention Mark Barron. Yeah, because uh, – but he, he honestly believed that they weren't. But I'm like, if you look at his salary and what they were wanting to do, especially with drafting Devin Bush – it, it, it kind of made sense when they were in a crunch that that salary had to go. Yeah. Um, would it be the worst idea in the world if the Steelers brought him back at a much cheaper rate since he still wasn't signed? I, I honestly would be a fan of it. Um, mm-hmm. His weaknesses are there. Like, they're legitimately there. He's not a great yeah. – uh, he doesn't read the play well against run defense. He doesn't always – I mean, sometimes he will, and he'll absolutely blow up a play. Other times you're like, I don't know if he knows what's going on in there. He's also weak in the red zone. Like that was one of the things you brought up is we gave up eight eight touchdowns to tight ends, and yet yeah. we scored really well against them if you look at yardage versus what was expected. And that's Mark Barron. Like in the red zone, yeah. Mark Barron's not good. And so like he's given up touchdowns, but he's not given up yards. It's it it would be good to bring him back in that kind of a role if we can't replace that role. Because otherwise mm-hmm. you're looking at Terrell Edmonds. And that was, that was my next question. And that is because Mark Barron was originally a safety. Yeah. You know, that was kind of moved to linebacker. Do you see somebody that's very similar in, in size and, and what they bring to the table, someone like, a, yeah, athleticism of a Terrell Edmonds being more of that dime linebacker um, in those plays and the Steelers really need to have another safety in order to fill in there and have him fill that role. You see that's something that is a possibility? I I don't like it for only one reason. If he's like mm-hmm. – if you mean dime linebacker, like actually your dime linebacker, uh, no. Which could be more – which is all – sometimes just considered an extra safety, but they play more yeah. in the box. Yeah. 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 I He is not good taking on blockers. Like Mark Barron, mm-hmm. uh, for his size, smallness, and stuff, he would crash in full speed and just take on and just hit somebody. Like there, were, there were, he could blow up a fullback because he would just go so fast in there and hit them before they really got going. That's not something Terrell Edmonds brings. So if you're going, okay. if you're putting him in a position where he has more run responsibility, I don't like Terrell Edmonds there. He's much more of a, you know, the, the play starts going to the left and he's there before everyone else waiting to make a tackle. But if it comes to, yeah. to, you know, taking on a blocker, if they can put a body on him, he's toast. Well, when you go dime in general, it's generally because the 
the the offense is set yeah. up in a formation that is conducive to passing the ball. Yeah. So I don't know if yeah. that would be. Do you, Teams still do you think the time. Steelers? Do yeah. Oh yeah, because that's what you want to do. You want to yeah. get that personnel mismatch. That's you know kind of like I liked a couple of years ago when the Steelers would bring in you know, multiple tight ends, a fullback and a running back. And the next thing you know, they have nobody in the backfield yeah, next to Ben and they're throwing yeah. the ball, yes. you know, against, against a, a jumbo defense. I mean, that was, I, there was one play in particular I talk about all the time against the Bengals. And it was actually a pass to a 20 some yard pass to a wide open Xavier Grimble because they just completely outflanked them with their, with what they had on the field defensively. And mm-hmm. what they had out there receivers wise. So I'm kind of a fan of that. Dude, what are your thoughts about looking at tight end responsibilities? Then not if it's going to be a linebacker like Mark Barron, actually using your safety positions more as something. What I mean, what well, what other options are there? We saw that uh when when Mark Barron was out in that that Chargers game. We saw that because they had to play Vince Williams a lot. Chargers like going two tight ends. Uh, They were using Derek Watt a little bit uh, in that game. And you saw when Vince Williams was out there, they would try and move, like take Hunter Henry and move him off the line. And we struggled with that for a long time until uh, mid-fourth quarter, we put Terrell Edmonds over there. We started doing the Mm -hmm. switches where – you know, you'd see Vince Williams start to go over there and then Terrell Edmonds would come up and Vince Williams would kind of go back in the box. Like, you know, yeah. go, go back where you belong, Vince. Just, you know, stay, don't, don't come out here. And uh, that would work, except then they were attacking our depth at cornerback because we also didn't have a safety. It was like, where's Minka? Oh, throw to the other one. That's so yeah. it. That could be an answer. You just described the second half of the Steelers season last year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what we were doing. Uh, but in that in that game, like they put they had Cameron Kelly trying it because he was a safety. Uh, it's not yeah. super fast, so you know, okay, put him on a tight end. He couldn't cover Hunter Henry. Uh, Mike Hilton couldn't cover Hunter Henry. Devin Bush couldn't cover Hunter Henry. Vince Williams tried it. They were all getting burned, and and by the end, you're seeing Terrell Edmonds over there, and uh, that's when they gave up the two. The, the, that long pass right down the middle of the field to like their nobody wide receiver that set them up in that, you know, on that drive, they, they were doing that pretty well. If you have a Joe Hayden and a Steven Nelson, you know, and you had another safety, that would be a good option because Terrell Edmonds, if you take his weaknesses, I, I, I have three weaknesses for him. One is he's not mm-hmm. a good, uh, he's not good at taking on blocks. The second one is he doesn't read the ball when he's looking at it. Well, like he doesn't get mm-hmm. it. He's not like the center fielder. If he was your center fielder, you'd like have a lot of Like we talked about with that Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. He just, you know, he that, that Arizona touchdown plays. he gave up that everyone thought was going to be a pick. But, and so. even, even before they throw it, if you see times where they, they try to split the safety and they put two guys in mm-hmm. his zone, he, he doesn't handle that well. He's just not that mm-hmm. deep safety kind of guy. That's his third weakness is he doesn't handle when they try to split his zone. He doesn't handle it well. So mm-hmm. you saw in the Chargers game, they did it the first time. And then late in the season, they were doing these defensive plays where they would take the safeties and at the snap, they'd be looking like a cover two safety group. They're both deep. And, and both Terrell Edmonds and Minka Fitzpatrick would like take one step forward. And that's it. They just, they just move forward a bit. 
and they would send cornerbacks mm-hmm. deep behind them and let them kind of just defend the middle of the field. And Terrell Edmonds, and Mink, they, they were phenomenal in that. Later in the year, they started using Cameron Sutton as like a deep safety behind everybody. He would start at nickel mm-hmm. and just run like crazy back deep. And teams didn't complete a pass against that. Like they didn't know what to do with it because you'd put, you'd put like four guys on the outside, two guys in the middle, and then Cameron Sutton deep. But you can't throw to the middle because it's Minka and Terrell Edmonds. You can't throw there. And so they, they didn't know what to do. And it, they, I don't think so they completed the like- pass against that. It's almost like they took their shiny new toy in Minka Fitzpatrick, which then teams started to, to not want to throw towards and said, you know, where do we give up a lot of a lot of passes? Uh, right in the middle of the field. Let's put yeah. Minka there so that way they won't throw it there anymore. Yep. So and, very, and they really they really had the other guys like way out towards the boundary. And they gave Minka and Terrell Edmonds a lot of room because they can both cover a lot of room. And it's like if you throw underneath them, well, you're not gaining any more yards. You you you, you might catch the ball, but that's it. You're done. So if it's third and 10, if you want to throw six yards and get tackled, that's fine. Like, we'll take that. But if you try and throw over Minka Fitzpatrick, that's not going to go well for you. you got to throw way over him. You can't just, like, yeah. you know, just put it a little over his head. So it really – they found ways to cover for Terrell Edmonds in those regards, and it put him more in the positions you would have a person covering tight ends. So if they wanted to use him like that, that is okay. definitely something he was good at. And you, as you talked in the early in the game, you talked about running back. We talked about defending the running back in pass plays too. And mm-hmm. the reason they were so good this year is they were number three in DVO against tight ends, and they were number three against running backs. They have not been top five in DVOA against those two positions since the since uh, they started tracking DVOA in 2005, the year we went to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, and only six seasons, six times we've been top ten in each. And those are 2005, 2008, 2010, mm-hmm. 2015, okay. where we won games. We, we weren't terrible, but we had, you know, Antoine Blake and Willie Gay as our outside cornerbacks, and we couldn't defend anyone. But we stopped yeah. tight ends and running backs that year. It's not tight ends. They didn't, they didn't need to worry about tight ends and running backs because they were <laughs> yeah. completing so much to the wide receivers. Just, <laughs> just throw to the boundary. It didn't matter. And then 2017, yeah. as Shazer really showed up, and as that defense really, really took off, they were top 10 that year in both, and then this past year. So it, it's kind of one of our keys to our defense is if we're defending the tight end and the running back both well, we're going to mm-hmm. have a good defensive year. And, you know, with that one exception for if both of your cornerbacks are terrible. And, okay. So, oh, yeah. Sorry, I was trying to figure out if you said quarterbacks or cornerbacks. Sorry, so I couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't decide if you're talking about the Antoine Blake or if you're talking about the 2019 offense. Oh. So, um, I don't, and this year coming up, I don't think our two corners are terrible. So. No, they are not. Yes. So, <laughs> so that's a big deal. Like, and one one of the ways we did that this past season was with Devin Bush on running backs. And with and with uh, Mark Barron on say on tight ends, uh, Devin mm-hmm. Bush teams early in the season until that Ravens game when he got that interception where he pulled it away from. Uh, was that Mark? No, I don't know if that was Mark Andrews or not. But it, he pulled it away was from that, the tight was that end. Hunter. Was that Hunter Hurst? I'm trying Hunter, to remember. Hurst, yeah, it was Hunter Hurst. And before that point, teams were going after Devin Bush. They would, they would move stuff around to try and get Devin Bush on a tight end and then go straight at him. They were like, mm-hmm. New England was doing that. Like, what, what, 
find out what player Devin Bush has covered and throw to him. And that game was Rex Burkhead. Uh, they, were, they were doing that mm-hmm. consistently until he made that interception. And then once you see him make that interception, like running backs and tight ends are kind of off limits at that point. The teams just stopped mm-hmm. really focusing them. One, one actually interesting stat that, that I found is okay. after the third game, after San Francisco, and game three okay. almost kind of fits into the pre-Minka because when they got him for that game, they played him up close to the line of scrimmage. They played him in a lot of places Miami had played him just to be like, you haven't even looked at the it playbook. Was, I mean, you don't know he what had you're three doing. practices. Yeah, yeah you, you do don't what know you what could. you're doing. Um, <laughs> no. But after that game, if a team threw five times to their tight end, we won the game. Straight across the wow. board. If you threw five times to your tight end or more, you're losing to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Wow. And that's just... To me, that shows like how well we were actually defending it. And if you look at the yards in the in the games where they threw a bunch to tight ends, they didn't get more yards than when they only threw a couple of times. If like yeah. if you were really working the tight ends, if you were keeping, and to me this is this is another problem with uh, Mark Barron. If you were keeping Mark Barron involved in the defense, he was going to be good. If you kind of let him fall asleep out there, he'd give up a big play or two. Um, mm-hmm. So so they actually, I think. It was something like 55 targets to tight ends for 350 yards in eight of our games. And in the other eight games, it was 320 yards on like 30 targets. Hmm. So it's like the less they threw to tight ends, the better they did with them. This is is a weird stat. That that is kind of a weird stat, which is funny because the one thing I didn't have was the yardage to tight ends because I had to go in and add – I got the receptions for tight ends by going into every game and adding up the number of receptions. I couldn't find anywhere that gave me just the yardage for tight ends. I, I couldn't get that filtered out the right way. So that was the one thing I was hoping you had because I wanted to ask about that, how the yardage was. So Yeah, it was like eight touchdowns, but you, 680 yards, right around 600. Yeah, because, I mean, it was it, it was down in the number of receptions. It was 65 receptions, if I had that right, mm-hmm. um, if I counted them right, which was, you know – in two th- which which kind of makes sense when you look at it because in 2018 it was up it was 79 and there was almost as many touchdowns they had they had multiple tight ends who had the 100 yard game but yeah. then in 2017 it was back down to 61 receptions yep um but then it was in the 80s the two years before that in 15 and 16 so you can kind of you know it, it's kind of cyclical a little bit um i'm going to ask this question i'm going to ask you first then i'm going to see about about rich kicking in with it is there something what would if the Steelers were going to defend the tight end better in 2020, what would they need to do in the upcoming draft in order for that to happen? What would you be looking for? What type of player at what position that does what kind of stuff? Oh, or do you think one. that they don't need to do anything in the draft? Do you think that do you think they're ready for it this year? See, there, there's options there because you have players who are showing they can do it. You know, Devin Bush can do it, but you really don't want to pull him out of the middle and make let him let teams like dictate that he goes out with a move tight end and goes outside and has to cover him. Uh, like you said, one of the best ways they could do it. Uh, I was against this until like the middle of the show. I'm sitting there thinking like, oh, my goodness, that would work is another safety. If they brought in mm-hmm. someone who was a, a more pure, deep safety um, that that could do it. Like if you. Or if, or if they work Cam Sutton more into that role because he did it a lot towards the end of the year. He was a deep safety. 
if they find ways to pull Terrell Edmonds out of that deep safety responsibility in the cover two defense where he's not good, um, that should be, that should do a lot towards it. That'll free him up to cover tight ends. That'll be, that'll be do a lot of good. Mm-hmm. Rich, any thoughts you have on that? Yes. If I was the Steelers, this is what I would do as we get, as they finalize their roster and get ready to go into camp, you look at the talent you have and then you, scheme your defense to work to guys' strengths to try to do that. If that is moving Cam Sutton back and having him do more deep safeties so Terrell Evans can come up, cover tight ends, then that's what you do. But you basically, you, you just have to totally step back, look at what you have, and then scheme based on what you have. So in other words, something that I was actually going to bring up is, is – do you need the players to fit your scheme or do you need to, what I always say, put your, you need to put your players in a position to succeed. Correct. You know, like, and I, I honestly think that's why I think the Steelers sometimes are struggling with, with Terrell Edmonds is can they put him in a position to succeed, but yet still have it be that it's not, I mean, you can't just put someone in a, you know, in their best position to succeed, by creating a deficit somewhere else, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, um, do, right, right. We, we got to know things like, you know, having Devin Bush try to cover Travis Kelsey is never going to work. Kelsey's too tall. Short, you know, Bush is too yeah. short. You know, and we're hoping that's the case because the only way we meet them was going to be in the playoffs. So let's just offer, so let's make sure, yes, let's worry about, right. you know, let, I, I want to see that matchup. <laughs> Tall tight ends, the Kelsey's, mm-hmm. the Gronkowski's, you know, although he's retiring, you know, but you got those guys out there that were tall. Those tall tight ends were the guys that Bush just, you know, he couldn't deal with those guys. Mm-hmm. They were too tall, too athletic. Saw games where quarterbacks just, you know, hit hit the tight ends going high right over Bush completion. Mm-hmm. So you can't be putting Devin Bush in situations where he's got to try to defend that. Yep. Um, something that was brought up in the live chat. I'm not really following it, but I, I I saw a name and I thought I'd look at it and I saw it more than one time. And that is what about, do you think having a player like an Eric Ebron that you might be going up against in camp or in practice could actually, you know, the Steelers haven't had that kind of tight end to even sim, you know, maybe not that much to even simulate in practice as much. Do you think that not, not that I think they're going to, you know, overuse Ebron in practice or anything, but at least it's something that they might be able to see a little bit. I mean, we used to see it all the time with Mr. Third and Fifth and Artie Burns going, you know, going up against each other all the time in training camp. Do, do you think maybe, hey, let's get Devin Bush and Eric Ebron out there at the same time and and see how see how they both can improve on stuff. It's part of figuring out what you have what you know mm-hmm. what your talent is. That's that time we can't figure out, can this guy do this or do we need to scheme it differently because they can't. That's yet, actually going to no. be, if they if they do mm-hmm. get a good camp off, that'll be something to watch is actually who they do that with. Like they're going to have Ebron. Who are they putting mm-hmm. up against? Because that's going to tell a lot about how they're going to, who's going to fill that Mark Barron role when they actually start the season. Very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, that that you could maybe maybe see how that plays out. So, um, and yeah, because a couple of people, because then I looked at the live chat because then some people are going, 
because you mentioned about Mike Hilton about tight ends, and that's one thing that he has against him is his height. Exactly yeah. what Rich was saying about with Devin Bush is that's that's his biggest <laughs> literally literally shortcoming against defending a tight end is just the the major height disadvantage. And it seems to me like that's kind of almost what the Steelers were up against in all those games where Gronkowski, where Gronkowski went crazy against him, you, you know, with the Patriots, which was really nice when I was at that game um, at Heinz Field back in, um, why can't I remember the year, back in 2018 and, and week 15, where I think he had was it either one or two catches. And that's what really seemed to be a big difference in that game. But that was a whole different thing with how they were scheming that because they didn't have the same players. So um, don't even want to go there. So <laughs> are we okay? I mean, do, are we relying on Ulysses Gilbert? If he's not up to the task, then we're in trouble? Or is it that the Steelers have multiple options going forward? I'd say they have multiple options. I think I think we've nailed the two, the two big ones. We'd love to see Ulysses Gilbert be that guy who takes the reins and can become, you know, the the nickelbacker or someone with Devin Bush who can go back there and say and, and be able to move outside, cover tight ends in line or outside. Without that, you're going to have to see, like, if we go with what we have right now, it, you're going to see Vince Williams over tight ends because they love Devin Bush on running backs. He's phenomenal on running backs. And Vince can't cover running backs either. But you'd have, sorry, you'll see Vince over the tight ends. And then if they move that tight end out, you're going to see Terrell Edmonds probably coming down and, and checking him out of that and then altering the defense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that was the problem with the Steelers two years ago is getting the right personnel on the field, you know, trying to not yeah. have Vince Williams and John Bostick, you know, yeah, all you those past teams having to guard those guys. Yeah. You can't cover for both inside linebackers. You, you can't hide both of them. Uh, yes. And, and, and it's funny because the one answer that I saw earlier, because I noticed that it was Wes kicking it in, in the live chat was saying, um, he's like, you know, what helps, helps from throwing the helps to throw the ball from the, to the tight end, sacking the quarterback, yes. <laughs> he's like getting more, getting more pressure, getting the quarterback on the ground, not even giving him a chance to throw, which is a really good point. So, well, that, that's for those what we, you, yeah, go ahead. That's what we did against San Francisco. San Francisco had, uh, Kittle. Kittle was blocking most of the game. Mm -hmm. They had him covering, helping on uh, Bud Dupree most of the game, and he didn't do much against us. Yeah. So, which is funny that because that was one thing that I I noticed. That I, I wanted to say today is like Bud Dupree should not have to be worrying about double teams because if you're going to double team someone, you should be you should be chipping TJ Watt. It's who yeah. you should be chipping on the on the rush, and if you're going to have to double team someone up front. He's right next to Cam Hayward, and Cam Hayward yes. should just come in a double team all the time. So yep. that my point was, man, nobody else is playing next to and across from two players of that caliber. No one else in the NFL can say that that they have the best edge rusher and one of the top two, you know, across from and one of the top two defensive linemen right next to him. You know, I'm not saying that's an excuse of why Bud Dupree does or doesn't do whatever he does. I'm just saying, well, wow, yeah. that's got to be nice whenever you know other people, you know. It's called flying under the radar. Yeah, it's always well, a positive thing. So, Bud Dupree and uh, I'd say Javon Hargrave benefited that from that as well. If you're going to double team oh, someone yeah. on that front seven, on those rushers, it's not going to be Bud Dupree. It's not going to be Javon Hargrave. It's going to be Ham Cam yeah. Hayward, T.J. Watt, or Stephon Tuitt. 
You're not doing yeah. You're not worrying I about mean, Hargrave and Bud. Alu-Alu, I think that's part of the reason he ranks so high as well, because he was just having to, a lot of times that he was in the game, deal with a one-on-one block. And it's mm-hmm. definitely, I mean, when you got guys, when you got a guy that can defeat double-team blocks, that's when you have a real special player. You know, most guys are like, hey, just, just win a one-on-one matchup and you're great. So, yeah. well, we're, we're, we're running towards the end of our time on this show. Because for those of you pay, um, here uh, live on, on YouTube, we are doing both shows tonight. We're going to do the Q&A. And it's funny because I actually saw some discussion going on about what the topic's going to be. Now, Jeffrey, are you, you know, I understand you got things going on. Are you going to be able to join us for the next show? Or, yes. or it, it's okay yeah, if you can be can't. here. All right. Good, because we have a good topic that we want to talk about. We've kind of addressed it a little bit. Rich, anything else you want to say here before we, before we close this one up? Or are you ready to get on to the next one? Oh, whenever you're ready, we'll just keep it rolling. All right. So for those of you that are watching live here on YouTube, uh, if you, especially if you're watching on your phone, hit that little X on the live chat and hit the thumbs up button. It takes about a half a second to do it right now. Um, it really helps out the show just to, with the overall YouTube algorithms and all that other stuff uh, to, to get that positive rating. Uh, for those of you that are that are listening in podcast form, this one will be out on Wednesday morning. When we say we'll be back in a few minutes, you're going to have to wait till the afternoon for that one. That'll be out around one o'clock um, on Wednesday afternoon. But Jeffrey, thank you so much for joining us here. Our, it's great that you're going to uh, be able to stay with us. Uh, make sure you guys are looking for us here on YouTube. Give us about five minutes to get us all back in and set up. And as Lance Williams always says, tune in, tell a friend, and subscribe. Thanks for geeking out with us.